print day operations, and then make sure that we're able to plan effectively, bringing our assets back into depots, do the changes that we need in a timely manner, and then get it back out. So the testing process, validation process, is something that I think we need to spend more time on. On this episode of the Defense Scoop podcast, DOD cyber leaders discuss post-quantum encryption and what else you need to know about the arrival of quantum computing in the defense community. It's Wednesday, December 20th, 2023. Welcome to the Defense Scoop podcast, where you'll hear all about what's going on across the defense technology landscape. I'm the host of the Defense Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. The Department of Defense recently issued a call for proposals as part of a broader push to turbocharge domestic fabrication of microelectronics and reduce U.S. dependence on foreign suppliers. The Pentagon plans to award up to $280 million next year for microelectronics commons projects that support six technology areas. Those include Secure Edge and Internet of Things computing, 5G and 6G, AI hardware, quantum, electromagnetic warfare, and leap-ahead commercial technologies. Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Research and Engineering David Honey said, the U.S. military has an ever-increasing need for innovation in the microelectronics that underpin many of our modern weapon systems, and he added that the call for proposals is the next step in the DOD's effort to bridge the Valley of Death. The Government Accountability Office is out with a new report that says the Pentagon lacks key definitions for and information about its AI workforce. According to the new report from the GAO, the department cannot completely pinpoint who all is part of its AI workforce or which positions demand AI-specific skill sets at this time, which also makes it impossible to fully grasp the current state of its AI staff or conduct effective future planning that's required. The report goes on to say that since 2018, DOD has made organizational changes and is investing billions of dollars to incorporate AI into its operations. The department's chief digital and AI office or CDAO and other staff offices within the office of the Secretary of Defense have taken some steps to define and identify DOD's AI workforce. However, DOD has not formally assigned responsibility and does not have a timeline for completing the additional steps required to fully define and identify its AI workforce, such as coding the work roles and various workforce data systems, developing a qualification program, updating workforce guidance, and any other actions DOD may identify. In other news, as we approach the new year, the Pentagon hopes to deliver a minimum viable capability for its warfighting construct known as Joint All-Domain Command and Control, with the aim of having it ready by the end of 2023. The Pentagon this year conducted several global information dominance experiments hosted by the Chief Digital and AI Office in partnership with the Joint Staff to bring JADC2 to life. They included participation from all of the service branches, key combatant commands, and international allies. The latest iteration of those experiments, known as Guide 8, kicked off December 4th and wrapped up last Friday. The big goal of that experiment, the Pentagon said, was to provide a minimum viable capability that can help iterate on JADC2 concepts, wargame global crisis scenarios, develop new tactics, techniques, and procedures, and influence policy around the joint concept. You can read more about these stories and much more at DefenseScoop.com. 
Scoop News Group and GDIT recently partnered for a jam-packed event focused on the emergence of quantum computing and the implications on federal cybersecurity. One of the highlights of the event was a panel I hosted featuring top cybersecurity and tech leaders from the defense community discussing how quantum is impacting DOD and the military services. We'll turn now to that conversation with Wanda Jones-Heath, who's the principal cyber advisor at the Department of the Air Force, Dan Gunlicky, Technical Director of the Naval Quantum Computing Program Office in the Department of the Navy, and Jim Matney, Vice President of Defense Strategy for GDIT. Welcome, everybody, to the stage uh, for one of my favorite topics, defense. Um, and, you know, I think there's a lot to uncover, and it, it's it's maybe a little bit different than some of the conversations we've had so far because there's so much at stake, uh, especially when you think about the threats and great power competition that we're currently facing and how that will evolve with quantum. But uh, I'd love to start with, you know, like many of the panels we've had so far today with sort of a framing and just a, a background of, of what's going on in the space currently in, in, in PQC and post-quantum migration, uh, and, and namely how are DOD and the military services preparing for this post-quantum era and its associated threats and benefits too. I know there's it's kind of that dual-edged sword, but um, I'd, I'd love to hear both if possible. And Dr. Jones-Heath, maybe we, we can give you the honor to kick things off. Oh, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me here today. Um, you know, you're probably wondering, what does the principal cyber advisor have to do with this conversation? So it, it's very easy. Uh, in this role, I am asked to provide the cyber posture um, of the enterprise and, and quantum and being able to resist um, you know, the adversarial attacks um, in this space. Um, this is important. This is a mission critical uh, challenge that we're dealing with and, and it impacts everything we do in the enterprise of the Department of Air Force um, from switches to routers to our most prized possessions, critical weapon systems. So understanding how we are now gonna need to operate and operate securely is something that um, I, I deal with um, in conversations with my boss, the secretary. Um, but you know, understanding not just the policy, but really driving investments and, and things like that. And I'll talk uh, a little bit more about some of the things that we're doing specifically, but I will um, certainly uh, tell you that this is a top priority within the department, um, especially within the Department of Defense as well. Dr. Gunlicky, uh, you have quantum all over your title, so I'm sure you have a lot to, to share about this. But you know, how is the Navy thinking about quantum, whether as an asset, the benefit, or you know, from the risk perspective? Uh, yeah, we are thinking uh, both. <laughs> sure, it's a short answer. Uh, so uh, I work at the U.S. Naval Research Laboratory. Uh, so we are a, a working capital fund. So we are doing a lot of uh, research to uh, both prepare for the uh, post. Uh, um, uh, quantum area, uh, but also take advantage of the quantum. So uh, we do a lot of uh, research that uh, relates to the Navy. Uh, so uh, quantum cryptanalysis, of course, uh, one area, but I think we also cover things like quantum simulation. We cover uh, PNT, uh, position navigation timing. Uh, we can use uh, quantum computing uh, to address uh, fluid dynamics uh, challenges. So we have a lot of different application areas in the Navy. And uh, one of the things that uh, we have uh, realized, and, and I think it's probably everyone in here would uh, probably see the same thing, uh, is that a, a lot of the 
uh, algorithmic tools that you develop in one application area is uh, transferable to another. Uh, so uh, we have set up a roadmap uh, of uh, different application areas so that we are uh, looking at. And uh, uh, we have also set up um, a team that goes uh, across our laboratory. Uh, we have also uh, various uh, satellite uh, spaces, uh, different uh, um, command centers where we work uh, out in California, uh, down in Florida, and uh, the main uh, center is here in DC. Uh, so we uh, have now a new uh, Naval Quantum Computing Program Office that we have set up to kind of uh, bring everything together. And Jim, you know, as, as all this work's going on in the DOD and the military services from discovery to the standards and, and getting things in shape for this post-quantum era, what's GDIT's role? How are you thinking of things from the outside and getting your own self prepared for this inevitable move in this direction as you serve the defense space? All right. I mean, that's an excellent question, Billy. And the, um, thanks for being able to have me on this panel. The, what we're doing from the industry side is, you know, we're taking it for the past two years, we've been actually working with this. With, when you look at the standards that NIST was actually evaluating as they were doing their drawdown, we were actually testing them in a lab. So to see actually how those algorithms actually work. But then also you heard, you know, Dr. McFadden talk about our title digital accelerator. We call it title, right, for our post-quantum cryptography implementation where we take a risk-based approach, because we know that's how the government likes to operate is, you know, taking a risk-based approach, where this is just an extension of cybersecurity. You know, this is dealing with an additional threat. So how do we deal with that taking a similar type of approach so it's not a one-off type solution set we're looking at? So our framework is pretty much, you know, Dr. McFadden kind of introduced it, but it's really the strategy piece of it, the discovery and assessment you're going to implement, and then it's a monitor, because it's not a one-and-done situation. We need to continually monitor okay, what's the progress of us being able to migrate to it. But then also, if there's a new algorithm that comes out where we need to do this again. So this is an ongoing effort is the way we see it. So when the, from a government perspective, when they're ready to say, okay, we're ready to assess, they're expecting industry to already have done the homework and saying, okay, this is the best way to do it. And that's what we've been doing. We've worked with a bunch of different types of tools to figure out how we can be able to go across and do that discovery and assessment. So that way we can come in and we're ready to support the government when they're ready to actually come out and be able to do that discovery and assessment piece. You know, a lot of the conversation we've had throughout the morning has, has focused on uh, the White House's NSM 10 and OMB's uh, directives there on after. I'd be curious from the defense side or even just senior leadership mes messaging, have, have there been, um, you know, those sorts of directance, guidance, policies, or even just, you know, uh, orders uh, from the top or, or kind of wishes from some of your senior leadership pushing you in the, this direction? Or uh, who, who's kind of the, the guiding vision for, for this side of the equation? Um, so, so we have a couple of different um, you know, things. Of course, we're following the uh, National Security Memo 10, um, you know, asset discovery, um, assessments. Uh, things like that. Um, as part of uh, Task Force Sentinel Stand and the operation patterns that Secretary Kendall uh, implemented uh, two years ago was to look at the Indo-Pecan region, really uh, take a step back and assess um, to include crypto uh, mod, our modernization plan, um, looking at uh, our weapon systems, understanding, you know, from a communication standpoint, you know, are we able to communicate effectively using our encryption? Uh, we all know that the adversary has already 
you know, cracked a lot of algorithms that we use today. And so how do we now develop TTPs and other, other ways to make sure that we can effectively and securely communicate? So we've done that. As part of Task Force Sentinel Stand, um, we were able to present the case to the secretary. And, and uh, the previous panel talked about um, investments and being able to invest um, in the right area. So we we're able to do that. Um, one area, of course, is research. Um, we put uh, a significant amount of dollars in research. But I will tell you the, the piece that really um, will bring concern is the integration. You know, how do we now continue to prosecute a war, um, current day operations, and then make sure that we're able to um, plan effectively, uh, bringing our assets back into depots, do, do the changes that we need in a timely manner, and then get it back out. So the testing process, um, the validation process is something that I think we need to spend more time on. Dr. Gunlicky, I mean, standing up in office is, is a signal of support, but is there any other sort of strategy or, or support from the top that has kind of given the momentum or given the support that you need to move in this direction? Right. So we have uh, constant communications uh, with uh, agencies above us. Uh, so we work with the Office of the Undersecretary of Defense. And uh, of course, we also have uh, uh, collaborations, uh, uh, including with the AFRL and uh, ARL. So uh, we're all uh, communicating um, uh, between the DoD uh, services and, uh, and also with uh, leadership and just... Uh, uh, it's kind of a two-way two communication there. And Jim, you know, speak to the importance of this in making sure that the DOD has its own sort of vision and the, the, the leadership support and the necessity of that as it moves in this direction. Right. I mean, our aim is to be able to partner with, you know, the government agencies and being able to help either it's providing uh, feedback on their draft, uh, specific, you know, guidance, the new standards that's coming out. But then their timeline is our timeline. We need to be ready to be able to support the government with that. Now, you heard the date 2035, but when you look at the actual guidance that's out there for draft, it starts in 2025 is when the expectation of starting. And that's where the budgeting, and you heard the previous panelists talk about the difficulties and being able to estimate the budget. Dr. Campbell you know, depicted that very accurately. It is going to be challenging to be able to understand specifically what is it going to take and how everything ties together. And then that's why taking that risk-based approach, I think is a good strategy to be able to help you know, guide this forward. But that timeline is now. So yes, from uh, the directives that are out there, we're paying close attention to it. And that's what we're marching to, to make sure we're prepared to support the government agencies as they, they're ready to be able to need the support. I really want to press on the point, you know, it, it's one thing for, you know, a normal agency on the civilian side to, to go on this journey that, that maybe that there'll be threats, there'll be risks, but it's not the same that the DOD and military uh, services deal with in terms of being targets um, from nation state actors in, in great power competition. So how does that change the equation or how does that really um, up the urgency to get this right as we look towards you know potential conflicts with great powers like China or Russia or others? Um, is, is that really, um, making the exigence for this even greater. And, you know, as we think about that, um, how soon are we talking that we need to be post-quantum ready uh, because of those sorts of threats? Now, but, <laughs> but we can't now, right? Um, because of uh, technology and because of, you know, the great things that NIST is doing, the great things that NSA is doing. 
But um, if we have not started this two years ago, we would be even further behind. I will tell you that within the Department of Air Force, um, as we uh, thought about encryption, knowing that the algorithms will be expiring, you know, we didn't take it serious enough. And, and so now um, we are in a sense of urgency. You know, the decisions of our forefathers have come to haunt us. But um, I will tell you that the secretary understands that this is, is really critical. Um, it is mission imperative. This is a national security issue. Um, and the Department of Air Force is doing everything we can. You know, as we think about all of the changes and modernization that we must do um, to take advantage of the good part of quantum, right? With AI and, and using it to number one, protect our data, communicate, but also use that data to make faster decisions because we have quantum computing um, in our inventory. So uh, we look at it from a slightly broader perspective uh, because in the uh, DoD, uh, we have a lot of uh, different uh, uh, challenges that relate to uh, probability. Uh, so when we want to uh, make risk assessments, we need to have a very good understanding of what uh, the different probabilities of different outcomes are. Well, there are a lot of different areas where the number of outcome uh, comes in a probability that you'd want to uh, try to predict grows exponentially. So uh, we see a lot of people in the room here. It, let's say that each one of you uh, is trying to make a decision and we have 100 people in here. The number of outcomes, uh, uh, if it's a binary decision, is two to the power of 100. That's an enormous number. So if we want to uh, try to predict the, or, and uh, calculate the probability distribution, uh, it's uh, uh, almost impossible with classical means. So we have to make certain approximations so that, uh, uh, for example, if uh, each of your decisions are independent, then it's actually quite straightforward and classical computers can handle it. But if you start to communicate with each other and have a lot of interactions, it becomes very hard. That's what we see uh, in the uh, um, what the warfighter is facing. So uh, when you have a peer adversary with a lot of actors there, they communicate uh, and uh, make uh, uh, decisions um, together uh, as a unit. And that's just a very, very difficult to predict. So, so we, we are thinking about uh, those type of probability uh, um, uh, decisions uh, in addition to uh, focusing on the uh, post-quantum uh, crypt uh, cryptography. So th there is a broader space in the DoD that we are, we are concerned about. Jim, thoughts on, on the urgency and, and why this space in particular, the defense space, is, is so incredibly urgent right now? Uh, thanks. I agree with both of you. Now and definitely there's a lot of potential being able to use it, you know, outside of the cyber threat. But one of the areas that um, we need to consider is the timing that's associated, this 2035 and this whole time frame that we're using the margin toward, is based on Peter Shore's algorithm. Right? What if there's another algorithm? Or what if researchers are able to come up with a different problem set? So the, the piece, the problem set of being able to prove that quantum computers can actually crack encryption, our current encryption, okay, that's, that's known. Okay, so everybody that's understood, it's undisputed. But what if the researchers, and we know researchers are out there looking for other ways to do it, and what if they make that breakthrough? That's why the urgency to be able to do this now is so essential for us to be able to plan for this now. So that way, because if next year they have a breakthrough where they say that, okay, now they only need maybe 
a thousand qubits to be able to crack the encryption vice the 20 million that's currently estimated, then we're ready for it. And that's why that now is so essential. So as we kind of come to the close here, we only have a couple minutes left. Um, I think the obvious question is, what can defense agencies or services be doing to prepare today, whether that's something like crypto modernization or preventing against, against those harvest now and decrypt later attacks? Um, and, and, you know, throwing in, you know, a, a final kind of tangent on that, how can that industry and, you know, uh, government interplay that, that public-private partnership help support that? I would definitely start with understanding where we are and where we need to go. Um, and that would drive investments, that would drive partnerships that we need with industry. Um, I hosted a um, industry day focused on quantum just to make sure that we're tracking the latest and the greatest technology, uh, pairing with some government folks who are actually working in the space and trying to move the ball forward. So I'm excited um, to see what comes you know, out in the next year when we get those algorithms and, and figure out you know, our roadmap to, to making sure that we're able to uh, transition effectively. Uh, from our perspective, uh, we make sure that we have this uh, communication like within our organization between uh, the teams that are, uh, including in my own, that are trying to develop algorithms that could shorten the amount of time before we reach that critical date that uh, uh, Jim uh, just mentioned. So, uh, but we also need to uh, communicate directly with the uh, uh, PQC uh, teams. So having that uh, direct dialogue uh, between the two sides, I think, is important. And um, uh, we also uh, interact with the industry where uh, the opportunity arises. So, I mean, we have uh, collaborations, of course, with a lot of the quantum computing companies, uh, uh, IBM, as Dr. Campbell here earlier, uh, with IonQ and other uh, partners out there. And we're looking forward to kind of increasing that collaboration with industry. And from our standpoint is, you know, as uh, you know, we mentioned, you know, our title digital accelerator, our focus really is on that discovery and assessment. So we can be able to understand what is out there. And in doing so, we take it sort of a three-pronged approach where we look at the actual in, in um, the client devices themselves, scanning those, but then also the network, but then also the data. So under understanding across those three, because applications and the workloads, when you're looking at from a zero trust perspective, right, we really are crossing the whole, all the pillars associated with zero trust. But those three specific areas is where our focus is and being able to find the right tools to make it easy. So you'd be able to visually integrate it in with your current tools for being able to manage and monitor the network like you do in your security operation centers. But this is just another extension, another aspect of cybersecurity that we just have to pay focus and attention to so we can be able to march down and be ready to implement PQC. Well, it sounds like this, as we've heard all day, is an incredibly urgent topic, uh, especially in the defense space. So this has been a very insightful. Let's give them a round of applause for this fantastic conversation. You can learn more about the DOD's preparations for quantum at defensescoop.com. The Defense Scoop podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Defense Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. 
that's it for us in 2023. We'll be back to you with brand new episodes in 2024. Until then, on behalf of Scoop News Group, however you celebrate, we're wishing you happy holidays and a happy new year. Thanks so much for making 2023 a top-notch year for the Defense Scoop podcast.